Welcome to Dragon Talk. Hello, everyone. How's it going? I'm Greg Tito. Woohoo! And I'm joined by Shelley Mazanobu. Yeah. What's happening, Beans Meister? <laughs> <laughs> Sitting here thinking about beans. They're so good. Black beans. Black My beans. wife has been making black beans in the Instapot. Me too. Thing, and it's delicious. From the dried state. Exactly. Used to take. Days, if not weeks, I know, now to like, do that. Like Thirty minutes, 30 forty minutes, beating it up, beans blowing up in your face. They are. I love it. My girls I, love it too. I used to think that they would blow up in your face with an Instapot because I was really scared of it. Oh right, yeah. It sat in a box for like three months. But it's not that scary. No. Yeah, it can work. They're so good. They are the best. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to have uh, beans at every single D&D session going forward. Yeah, uh, beans just, and dragons. Just have it in the, in the thing. We'll add beans as counters and or miniatures uh, and all of our attacks and rolls and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Use dried beans for that. Yeah. Let's do it. Okay. All right. We uh, have an awesome interview today that I uh, spoke to Ruben Bressler. Uh, he is a magic player, Magic the Gathering player, as well as a professional poker player, uh, which are two very interesting things. But on top of that, he was also a stand-up comedian. Come on! And a dungeon master playing Dungeons & Dragons all over town. Uh, he's from Las Vegas, but is moving to L.A., and uh, it was a really fun, uh, great conversation. That's so really cool. Can't wait to share it with uh, my co I can listen to that! Yeah, that's right. You can listen to that one. That's a good one. Yes. You're not involved at all, so you can skip through this very intro and get right to the, the can, meat. I can hear the song that everybody always asks. What's that song that you guys play in Dragon Talk? And I have to sit mum because I like, I don't, I don't and not pay to attention Dragon to it Talk. one one bit. I think it's might be that's air awesome. supply. <laughs> it's totally air supply. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's awesome. Uh, stay tuned for that. We also have a Lori Cheneau coming uh, from Chris and Matt. We're going to talk about Cormier and what happened there. I feel like we might have touched on it in a Lori Cheneau in the past, but we're going to kind of delve deep. We're getting in there. Uh, and, and find out what's happening oh. in that nation state. It should be pretty fun, but we also have some fun Dungeons the Dragon stuff like Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes is yep, coming out yep. May 18th in your local game store. That is right around the corner. Matt, it is right around the corner for reals. Uh, mm-hmm. May 29th, you can get it everywhere. Uh, talk to your local game store if you want the special cover. Uh, and you do. And you do, because it's pretty sweet. It's gorgeous. It is gorgeous. Uh, but in honor of that, we have a little shindig going on called the Podcasts of Foes. Wait, wait, wait. Yes. Does it feel weird to say that? I don't think it feels weird. I mean, you're Did saying th- it. I feel like you should be like, and we have this awesome, amazing event coming up. It's true. We do. Remember last year? Our la- well, yeah, it was last year when we did the podcast of Annihilation. Yeah. We got 10 podcasts to do uh, some adventures that had to do with uh, the Tomb of Annihilation. Well, for this, uh, Victoria Rogers from the Broadswords came to me and was like, I've got 20 podcasts. Was, it's bigger than ever. It's du- more than double. Well, what are we going to do next year? Uh, 40. Jeez. I'm just going to keep... In, infinitely uh, uh, going up through forty podcasts. Let's do it. It's gonna be like twice a, or the twenty. The twenty. It's gonna be yeah. Twice so starting on uh, May seventh, we're gonna have two podcasts released on our Dungeon Delve uh, oh, RSS feed, which is yeah. a, a kind of a sister thing where we put a lot of our live play stuff going on there. Uh, so yeah, about two a day, uh, in, including two a day. Yeah, Monday through Friday. Yeah. So we're gonna start on Monday. 
uh, May 7th with the Venture Maidens and Sneak Attack, uh, both oh, cool. folks that we've uh, interviewed here. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, do a whole bunch of them. There's lots of new uh, podcasts on here that were brought into this through Victoria, which I think is really exciting. So if you're looking for audio live play of Dungeons & Dragons and don't know who to follow, this is a great list of people to try out. Plus, you'll get content from... Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes, before it comes out, they're going to make one-shot adventures that have to do with some of the lore or, you know, actually the fighting monsters. some of the monsters, some of which you've played with yes. more than I have yes. in the past few weeks. You want to talk about Get that? Yankee Supreme. Mm-hmm. Well, she's awesome. She's awesome. I got to play her. Once. And won. Moved on to the next round, but couldn't play that day, so Sean Wood stepped in. And kicked some serious butt. He really did. He so might go to the finals. We're not sure we'll who she's going to be up against in the finals, but she's in the finals. We're talking about Morden Kanan's Mayhem, yes. uh, which has been on our Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash dnd. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we're having a, a small little bracket of foes uh, or uh, dome of foes, as Chris Lindsay, Dungeon Master, has called it, where we're pitting the yeah. D&D team uh, against each other using some of the high-level monsters from Tome of Foes. Very Hunger Games. It's very Hunger Games. Lots of fun. Uh, it's very fun. Great way to get some of the abilities out there and uh, to see some of the team. I never really get to play a monster. I'm not a dungeon master. Exactly. So it was really fun. It is pretty cool, right? I had like crazy amounts of hit points. I had to use a calculator. Crazy amounts of spells, too. You were able to just kind of like throw them. Yeah, the I could levitate. Telekinesis. Could, yep, yep. I was teleporting all over the place. It's good stuff. It was pretty cool. Yeah. So that should be finishing up in the next uh, week or so as you're listening to this. Uh, but all the archives are available on our Twitch channel as yes. well as our Watch YouTube them. channel. So Watch check them out. Plus, we got fun recaps that Bart Carroll and I have been doing the voiceovers for. So check those out. Did you out do a recap can. of my I think first I did. one? I did. You never, I never saw it? it? Oh, it's pretty good. I, I gave. Like, I was like said, "Oh, sorry, Shelley, a lot and, and you stuff did? because yeah, you you when like rolled a lot hit. of ones." Oh, I did. Yeah. I rolled terrible. It's really funny. And so still won. You should go check it out. Okay, for sure. Um, also, uh, we have a, a new fun show coming to the Twitch channel called Dark and Dicey. If you're a fan of dice camera action, uh, Nathan Sharp, uh, who is plays uh, Paulton on Dice Camera Action, is starting up a new show with a bunch of people he brought together, Spin-off. including a Dungeon Master Kaiji Tang, uh, as well as a few other characters we've announced right now called uh, a half-elf Oathbreaker Paladin named Kovacs. A Yuan T pure blood <laughs> warlock named Anya, uh, and those are played by Christina V as well as Hunter Hughes. Um, some good stuff there. That will be starting on Monday, May fourteenth, uh, at seven p.m. Pacific time on the Twitch channel. Uh, we'll be talking actually to uh, Nathan and his dungeon master Kaiji Tang next week on Dragon Talk, which should be a lot of fun. There's also the Art and Arcana book coming from Ten Speed Press. Uh, this fall, if you're interested in any of the artwork that goes behind Dungeons & Dragons, the game, since the inception of Dungeons & Dragons, this book will have it all in there. It's like 400 pages long, 700 pieces of art, tons of fun stuff. Uh, there's also great D&D merchandise you can grab from ThinkGeek. Have you seen all this stuff? I've seen some of it. The Hawaiian shirt? I sit next to Hillary. That's I get to see it when she comes out of the boxes. It's oh, so fun. Yes, I saw the Hawaiian shirt. What do you think? Hmm... Would, you wouldn't wear it? No. Why not? Because it makes me look like I work at Trader Joe's. <laughs> What's wrong with Trader Joe's? <laughs> I love all the people who work at I Trader Joe's. I love them Joe's. too, but that's not like my everyday work. Like people who work at Target probably don't wear red shirts every 
like any other time than when oh, they go to work. It's probably ruined point. it for them. Right? It's like, like you know, Red Sox, uh, people don't wear their uniforms right. when they're just like about town. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I mean, that whoa. makes sense. Uh, what about the uh, the pink uh, and purple shirt? The, Love it. That one's really good. Yep. Yeah. Whenever I wear that, my uh, my girls are like, oh, I want that shirt. I'm Aww. like, well, you got to buy it. It's on ThinkGeek. Yeah. Yeah. Get your ca- Get credit cards job. in order. Get a job. Get a job, kid. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, cool. We also have uh, some fun things coming from our partners, a mobile game called Warriors of Waterdeep uh, from our friends at Ludia uh, that we'll be releasing in the next couple of months. Stay tuned to find out more about that, uh, as well as Beamdog just released Neverwinter Nights Enhanced Edition uh, on Steam now. I loved that game when it came out, and there's tons of fun stuff uh, you can grab for it, uh, including all of your old mods or saves or modules that have been created for it over time. You can grab into those. Uh, plus, WizKids has a new line of miniatures, including the Kraken. Did you see the Kraken? Yes. With all the tentacles poking yes. out there? Yes. That's super fun. Uh, I wish more people would have that. And they actually have a beach and a uh, treasure chest full of treasure, things like that. So there's lots of fun stuff uh, to beach. get into. Yeah, That's good really stuff. cute. Uh, anything coming from uh, Avalon Hill side of things you wanted to throw out there? No. No? Ah, just, just a couple kidding. of really fun games. A couple games went to the printer. <gasps> they went to the printer? Yeah, Betrayal of Legacy has left the building. Wow, that's so early. Is that normally how, how early it goes? Yeah. Hmm. It takes a long time to that's make pretty a game cool. like that. We should make sure to have you and Rob and wait. anybody else on here to talk about that whole process. I, I bet wait. some people would really like that. Yep. Rob Davio, of course, the designer, mm-hmm. uh, making it a very legacy. He's a very big D&D fan. Yeah. And so legacy games are very role-playing-ish. Yeah, right, with the, having so like a can, campaign that goes from yeah. the beginning and the middle and then you take on the role of this, this family. And yeah. It's really cool. Very cool. It's really creepy. It is creepy. I've seen the cover. It is super creep-tastic. I read all the cards. <laughs> Several times. I read all the stuff. Do you feel creeped out? There was definitely some things that I was like, oh, no, oh, oh, no, oh, this is bad. <laughs> because it was just cre- scre- yeah. scary? Yeah. Yeah. So, so you're like, oh, that means do more of what, yeah. she- what creeps Shelly out. Wow. <laughs> That's really terrible, Rob. And he's such a nice guy, but ooh. Ooh. There's something going on in that head of his. Yep. Yep. Pretty uh, Dragon Plus issue 19 is out now. Uh, you can download that on your Android phone or your iOS device. Tons of great information about what's happening. And we talked to Bob. A lot of Bob, Bob. Salvatore stuff in this issue. Uh, it is the 30th anniversary of the publication of The Crystal Shard, uh, which was his first Jeez. D&D novel, which is crazy. That was 30 years ago. Uh, but he's all up and there, uh, which is great. Uh, go download that now. Or you can check it out on dragonmag.cam. That's how you would say it in, uh, in, 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 in Massachusetts. Bob language. Exactly. Uh, all right. So let's uh, get to our fun uh, Lori Cheneau episode uh, uh, segment on Cormier. I think I hear – is that is that some some bings? Boo. Is that some bongs? Oh. <laughs> what is that? You can are, make any sound with they, your voice. That's amazing. It sounds like they're right outside the door. Bing bong. <laughs> <laughs> this is a lore you should know segment 
It is uh, where me, Greg Tito, speaks to these amazing lore masters, Mr. Chris Perkins. Hello. And Matt Cernit. Howdy. On little bits of Dungeons & Dragons lore uh, from the Forgotten Realms that you can use in your game or just for the fun of knowing them and springing them on your friends. Yeah. Uh, We had one very recently uh, that we want to uh, have a uh, addendum to, a correction, uh, if it were. We talked about the GIF, G-I-F-F. Uh, uh, who are detailed flying space hippo men? Yes, hippo uh, women from the Spelljammer. Uh, hippo in space. Exactly. Yes. They they do have ships. Yes, we said they didn't have ships, but in fact they do have at least yeah. one ship. There was a deck plan for the GIF Bombard, which is basically a Yamato gun. Yeah, great, um, great Bombard. Yeah, the Great a, Bombard, and it's is, a giant cannon that fills up the entire deck of the ship, <laughs> and it fires five foot diameter cannonballs. <laughs> five foot diameters. <laughs> yes. Problem is that the GIF, because they don't have spellcasters, need a spellcaster to power their uh, Great Bombard helm. So, yes, yeah. where they get these spellcasters, does anybody guess who would want to serve? On a ship that's basically all one big cannon. Hmm? I don't know. So, so the interesting thing is that, like, there's there's some idea that the GIF hi- hire a mercenary wizard to to, yes. to pilot their ship for them, which is funny because they are all mercenaries. mercenaries yeah. <laughs> so they have to. It's Sub- like a subcontractor. Yeah, yes. they, they adopt right. a wizard. I don't know. Yeah. So there is a GIF ship out there. Enjoy. Sweet. Well, thank you. I'm glad we had that all like wrapped up. Yeah. Uh, the GIF will be in Morning Canyon's Tome of Foes, uh, which comes out on May 18th. Everywhere else, May 29th. Uh, you can find out more about it there. But we are going to talk about a different piece of D&D lore for this entire segment. The country of Cormier. Or Cormier. 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 Yep. What is it about Cormier? What do, what's, what's the shtick there? Boy, it's... A lot has been written. <laughs> yeah, a lot has been written. I think um, there are things about Cormier that people who like Arthurian legends can relate to. Oh, I think okay. that's part of their appeal. Uh, there's, there's, uh, there's an undercurrent in a lot of the stories of Cormier from uh, sort of the second and third edition era where King Azown is the king, where it's sort of like a Henry V kind of vibe. Mm. Um, he goes out in disguise as, as sort of a... a a uh, normal citizen and um, wanders about and does various things, gets into various shenanigans. Um, and his sort of court wizards, the war wizards, uh, sort of uh, help protect him while he does that and stuff like in, that. Incognito? Like yeah. They're, they're also in secret? and Yeah. So, so that's the, it, there's the weird thing about Cormier is that uh, – it has this sort of Arthurian legend kind of feel to it because there's this good king on the throne for most of the, the setting's history. Mm-hmm. And um, people think of it as, uh, you know, ye old Arth- Arthurian times uh, type thing. Um, he goes out and he fights um, Yaman Kahan, who is basically the Forgotten Realms version of, uh, my brain fell out, the Genghis Khan kind of coming over and invading okay. and so on. Right. So, again, again, it's sort of like he's this, this good guy who's doing all this great stuff. Um, but it's a little bit weird because it is a country that has serfs and they're lorded over by various barons and various, um, other rankings of Cremian nobility. Um, and there is this sort of secret police state of the war wizards who spy on everyone and report back, um, what's being said in various courtrooms of various nobles and stuff like that. And yeah. And so yeah. it's it's sort of this bizarre mix of, uh, yay, the shining city on the hill, and then our, also also this weird police state of war wizards and 
So. Where and where is it in relation to say the Sword Coast, Neverwinter, uh, 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 Waterdeep, that type of thing? East. <laughs> yeah. So um, there's the big body of water in the center of the, the Forgotten Realms setting the main continent and the Sea of Fallen Stars. And so it is on sort of the northwestern <laughs> end of that. And uh, as you head inland, there's a bunch of mountains on either side and you kind of get funneled towards that space of Cormier. Um, and a lot of travel that um, heads across sort of the continent goes through that sort of Cormier area. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so it's within the same kind of, you know, uh, it's like two days travel from the coast, that type of thing, three days, four days. Like it's, it's quite, it? yeah, it's ways away. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's, that's yeah. why it feels Long very trip away. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, of its own thing. Uh, yeah. And uh, I like that, it, what you mentioned, it's got this, it's basically medieval, which is highs and then lots of yeah. lows. Yeah. And it's also very, it's political. So if you like running political, uh, campaigns with lots of court intrigue. Mm. Cormier is one of the places to do it. Mm-hmm. And were there lots of campaigns set there? Is that why there's so much written about it? There's a lot of novels that have been set there and dealt with those characters, um, particularly by Ed Greenwood. Um, the most recent one is probably, uh, must be, I think, uh, Ashes of the Tyrant. Mm-hmm. I think Tyrant of the. I'm going to mess up the title. Oh, oh the shoot, the Aaron M. Evans. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, Aaron's book. Yes, um, and uh, and that has um, uh, a fair amount of it that deals with sort of like court intrigue and who's on the throne and so on. So by the end of that, we we know that it's uh, Queen. I think I'm going to mispronounce, but I think it's Rieredra, um, who is now sort of Queen of of Cormier. But got it. Um, and uh, why, how did it get formed? Why was why were this uh, war wizards have so much power? Was it always this one monarch, or was there a long lineage before then? Well, there there is a long lineage before that that you can trace through. Which like, I'm not supposed to ask <laughs> the lore. Well, it's basically lore that was created as backfill. So, I see. so when the setting was first generated and Ed was making it, um, you know, there it was created with King Zaun and the War Wizards and uh, this whole sort of setup and so on. And uh, so he then wrote a number of novels that deal with characters in this area and, and so on. But then the, the sort of long history of that that setting uh, was filled in later. Mm. Um, and so there's all kinds of weird yeah. little wrinkles like uh, the, the Purple Dragons, which are the sort of army of Cormier, relates back to um, what was called a purple dragon, which was this sort of actual dragon that the, the great ancestor of King Azaun fought and so on and so forth, and it comes back later. And Yeah, it's a yeah. very complicated... But to be clear, they don't have actual dragons defending them now. The purple dragons are a knightly order. Yes. Right, right. Yeah. Filling, in, filling in for yeah. that Arthurian yeah. type of feel, like Knights of the Round Table type mm-hmm. thing. Right, yeah. and, it's, and that, even that part's a little bit weird because um, throughout the second edition period, uh, the purple dragons were just the army of the, the, the crown. Uh, and the purple dragon knight idea didn't really come in until third edition, and that was sort of solidified in third and fourth. And that was the idea that there was sort of this... Um, if you were uh, a hero of the, the kingdom and so on, you might be inducted into the Purple Dragon Knights. And so that became sort of more of a, a real thing. Mm. But even that was sort of like a thing that kind of erupted in the game and in the lore of the, the books and so on later on. I think on. it was even a prestige class yes, in third edition. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's the genesis of that. And a lot of people liked it. So I kind of like, oh, here, let's write some more. 
yep. uh, backstory about it to make it well, more it, sense. Well, it fits right in with the, with the setting, you know, that sort of Arthurian legend feel and so on. Um, and I think previously there wasn't re- – there, I mean, there was the concept of certainly knights in the kingdom, but it was still, still that sort of medieval um, – you know, uh, fealty kind of system with scutage and, you know, all that kind of a thing where you have to, you know, give the king so many warriors and, you know, all that kind of deal. So. Yeah. How, how big of an area is uh, Cormier? Ooh. I mean, does it involve, like, one city or is it, like, oh, several no. city-states with, like, that kind it, of well, idea? It well, it's, it's a kingdom. So all of the places within Cormier, you know, right, sort of funnel up to the king or right. queen as it, as it happens now. Uh, the biggest city is the capital city of Suzail, which is on the coast of the Sea of Fallen Stars. Okay. But there are other good-sized cities and a plethora of towns and villages scattered throughout. Um, it's safe to say it's, a, it's sort of a well-documented, well-trodden realm. There aren't a lot, within Cormier, there aren't a lot of places of mystery, uncharted reaches. Mm. Um, the place is pretty well mapped out, and so... If you're going to go off on an adventure in the classic sense, there are lots of dungeons still around Cormier, along the outskirts of Cormier, in the mountains and in the woods that surround Cormier, um, and even within Cormier itself. But people probably know of them, unless there's some super secret hidden mystery place mm. that nobody's yet uncovered. Um, uh, these places have been sort of chronicled and mapped, put on the map. Right, as being like, these, yeah. are, these are problem areas, don't right. stay away. Yeah. When you look or... at a map of Cormier compared to some of the other realms... Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got a lot more identified places on it. And that's because, as Matt says, a lot of novels have been set here, a lot of names have been dropped over the years, and so there's a fair amount that has been plotted out and and you know a lot of stakes put in the ground. Yeah, which, as you say, makes uh, it rife for political intrigue campaigns where, like, right. oh, it's this town that we have the name of versus this town, and, yep. you know, the Baron doesn't like that one, yep. and so how to work around that. Yeah, so. one of the first adventures I ever ran that was FR-based, uh, takes place in a dungeon on, sort of on the edge of Cormier called The Haunted Halls of Evening Star, which Ed Greenwood wrote, and it's very much sort of a classic D&D dungeon crawl. Mm-hmm. Um, not, not sort of full of necessarily the political intrigue that you expect or that sort of came about as Cormier was being developed Got it. in later editions. Was, uh, was, was, what was the name of the purple dragon that was actually... Oh, oh gosh. Oh, gosh. I'd have to look it up. Stop. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I wasn't sure if that's, that's where the name that's Cormier came from. That's in the from. way back. Or is that where just the king's uh, heritage came from? Um, I'm doing a little looking yeah. here for... Uh, I would say that Cormier is maybe about uh, half the size of France, something like that. Okay. That sound, that sound about... Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm just doing a... So, like the, the you know the the island of England, uh, you know, plus Ireland maybe as a as a thing that makes sense. Um, so, if uh, you wanted to set a character uh, from there, or like you know, ha- integrate Cormier into your campaign, uh, as you said, the political intrigue thing makes sense. But someone who's a knight or a paladin uh, would make perfect sense. What about uh, one of these war wizards? Oh, sure, yeah, you could even go sort of the. Um, I mean, there are lots of wilderness places around Cormier, so, you know, there are probably orcs living in the mountains, so you can have half-orc characters running mm. around. You've got elves living in the wood, the forests to the north, Cormanthor, places like that, so you can have elves and half-elves running around. Um, what's, what's Cormanthor? 
so Cormanthor is a, a sort of big forest area. Um, it's related to Cormanthir, which was a big forest kingdom of the elves, an empire of the elves at one time um, for a long period in the Forgotten Realms history. So yeah, there's okay. a, there's a it's a huge, huge forest tract north of Cormir. I think it's as big, if not bigger, than Cormir itself. Yeah. And um, around that sort of in the, around all the sort of edges of that forest is the basically what's called the Dale Lands. Um, and Cormier and the Dale Lands have had a long sort of fractious history. They've had wars over I think Scardale, um, which is sort of in the mountains in, and uh, all kinds of yeah. There's just so much that's sort yeah. of tied to it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Wars with Sembia. Um, the, that's his eastern neighbor. Yeah. I see. And uh, there's there's just a bunch of yeah, okay, so so Cormanthir was a elvish in, kingdom in the forest of the same north, name, north of Cormir. Got it. Um, it later, after the kingdom went away, yeah, uh, as many elven kingdoms do, uh, it became just known as the land of Cormanthor, or the forest of Cormanthor. Okay, yeah. there's no there's no elves that live there currently. Oh yeah, I'm oh, sure. yeah. yeah so some um yeah. Yeah, and it's, I guess it's more east, but whatever. Uh, it's uh, like it's where Mithranor was, and mm. so during the fourth edition period, Mithranor and third edition period, Mithranor was sort of resurrected as a new Melvin city. But then in the Sundering, the events of the Sundering novels, um, uh, the Empire of Shade, which was in Anorak, and Cormir went to war, and then Shade sort of passed over the Flying Citadels, passed over Cormir in order to invade. Um, the Cormanthor and attack Mithranor and Mithranor got destroyed and read lots of novels. Yes. <laughs> but the quick praise is that Mithranor is no more. Yes. It is, uh, is a ruin once again. Is yeah. a ruin once again but there are still elves. Now how does the humans of Cormir uh, what, what do they think about the elves that live in Cormanthor? Um, I I th- I think that so there's a weird thing where the Dale Lands have this what's what's I think it's called the Dale Compact but it's basically what's what made the um, the calendar start at uh, one dr that's Dale Reckoning oh so they they made a bargain with the elves way way back when about whatever fourteen hundred and eighty years ago or so um, and said uh, we aren't going to cut any of the real um, you know living trees of the forest anymore we're only going to take dead wood. And as long as we do that, you guys will let us live on the edges of your forest. Mm-hmm. And the elves said, okay. And uh, their version of saying okay was to make a super magical item um, or object thing that uh, is this stone, this indestructible stone um, that is the point at which that sort of compact was made. And as long as both parties keep the bargain, the stone is indestructible, it's got other magical properties. Um, and so they've the Dale Lands people been, basically have kept that, that bargain for you know a thousand and four hundred and eighty years or so. Right. Um, other people, not so much. The Zentarum, the uh, the people of Cormier, Sembia, and so on. They 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 are look at that giant vast woodlands with all the resources in it and say, hey, what's going on, guys? Like, come on. <laughs> this was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. Nobody even remembers. The elves are this. gone. They yeah. left. Like <laughs> elves are like, no, we're still <laughs> here. No, I, I lived over there for ten centuries. Yeah, our uh, kingdom's gone, but we're still here. Yeah. So yeah, and so that's that's kind of the thing that's going on there. Is that, so Cormier, Cormier, I think looks at looks with avarice at that area um, because it is it is sort of the good kingdom, but it, it has this aspect of of conquest and expansion, expansion, and yeah. so on. So. I see. 
but they don't have any specific animosity towards elves, uh, but they yeah, lo- yeah. look at that as, as resources that they should grab. Right. I got yes. it. That makes sense. Yep. Um, what, what else is, what are the, like, uh, other than them being a human uh, uh, country, uh, are there uh, uh, halflings, gnomes? Like, is it, is it made up of, of yeah, it has diverse? Yeah, sort of full panoply of, yeah. of D&D races um, scattered throughout, but it's predominantly human. Like Those nine, 90 power. plus percent, 95 plus percent human. Got it. And uh, uh, do they, uh, you know, is it uh, warrior uh, kind of based because of the feudal nature? Is it more knights and, and things like that? Are there other yeah, things looked I mean, down upon? With the exception of the, the war wizard. So, I mean, it's one of those things. I, I think if you're in Cormier and you show some aptitude for wizardry or sorcery or something along those lines, the ward wizards come and knock on your door. <laughs> <laughs> come and knock on our door. So, Welcome, um, child. And there, there's into a, our war college. A funny thing about Cormier as well, where uh, for, it's a longstanding sort of rule of, of the, the empire, kingdom, whatever you want to call it, that if you're an adventuring band operating in Cormier, you have to register. Mm. So, you know, it, like adventuring is recognized as a thing that people do and it's like a profession, you know, and uh, you have to register and like pay up taxes and fees and so on to um, do the th- your thing in Cormier. And if you don't, basically your adventuring is considered illegal and you can be seized or your goods can be seized or oh. you, you might be put in prison or beheaded or whatever. Yeah. That's so. a good story hook right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You went to the wrong place, didn't pay the permits. Uh, all right. Then final question. What, what's going on with the, the queen? You said what, what's, what's the kind of state of affairs in Cormier right now? So um, the, the, the events of the sundering and the fallout from that are relatively recent. The, um, at the same time that there was a war going on with um, Sembia and with uh, the um, – Kingdom of Shade. Yeah, the Kingdom Shade, of Shade and so on. There was a, a sort of internal conflict in, in Cormier about who was going to have the throne, a big struggle over that. And so the fallout of that basically more or less just happened. It's like in the current timeline of the, the realms, it's probably happened in just like the last year or two or three. Oh, okay. And so Queen Riordra is a relatively new queen. Um, she's uh, obviously was a princess of some sort before that, but... Um, you know, I, that's still the dust sort of is still settling there. Um, there's a weird thing where um, the the court wizard of the kingdom, Van, Vander Vander Haggist, Van, yeah, well, however you pronounce it, <laughs> I always have trouble <laughs> with that one. We'll go with um, that. He, uh, like, I think he was a weird spider creature for a really long time, <laughs> and then he, like he was trapped in that form, and then I think in one of the novels he came back and. Basically, um, fell in love with a dragon, and then like he's, so he's sort of back, but not really in a weird way. And his his sort of uh, successor, another V named wizard of unpronounceableness, <laughs> <laughs> is kind of also around. Think I think as well too, but that person might be. I don't remember. Anyways, the it's complicated. The war wizards are are, are generally just complicated. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Yes. So it it. It behooves me to mention that Cormier has long been one of Ed Greenwood's favorite playgrounds, mm. and he has had his characters tromping around there in a number of novels, and Elminster shows up in meddling in Cormierian affairs from time to time, and he's got a relationship with this Van, Van der Haggist fellow. Um, oh, I see. So, yeah. Like uh, a rival, or we, or...? Well, so, in, like, one of the Arthurian legend things that comes out of Cormier is that you really get the sense that 
Um, King of Zaun and Wenger de Hast is like the, the uh, Arthur and uh, Merlin yes. kind of scenario. Got it. Um, and, and, and so it, their, their relationship is, is very close like that. And so they're kind of buddies in, in a lot of ways and a lot of the But novels. Merlin is not always. They're both highly eccentric wizards. Yes. Um, so their relationship is understandably complex. Yeah, and so like the uh, and I think Elminster is definitely a free spirit by comparison, whereas uh, Vangi, as he's often called, Vangi, literally yes. that's his nickname. Uh, oh, good old Vangi. Uh, he is part of this sort of weird police state and secret police system, mm. um, and the head of it at for a long period of time. More more lawful than yeah. to Elminster's chaotic, and and right. not necessarily as good. Right. <laughs> that's why I didn't. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, there's a, a weird quinking too I wanted to bring up is that uh, there's a period of history in, in the, the setting where um, a character known as Gondegal um, rises up and tries to start a rebellion in Cormir. And uh, for whatever reason, that guy actually ends up eventually in Ravenloft. And so he got he got pulled over into the dark side of Ravenloft for that, I guess. In in the second edition, yeah, era in the second there? edition period, yeah. So he's he's a character that got mm. pulled in Ravenloft. So. I don't even remember that. Yeah, that's all right. So he's got his own domain of dread. We'll yeah. just give it to him. Cormier has its own coinage. I just want to let people know that that's important. Um, yes, it is. So copper pieces are called thumbs. Silver pieces are called falcons. Four fingers. Gold pieces are called lions. And platinum pieces are called tri-crowns. And electron pieces, I guess, are called garbage. Because <laughs> <laughs> they don't exist. The right. Are the tri-crowns uh, uh, triangles? Uh, that would make a lot of sense. That would make that? a lot of sense, yeah. right? Yeah. It's well, probably because they have three crowns on it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that also probably makes sense. I suspect that's the case. Yeah. Uh, all right. Good to know. All right. Great. Uh, that's your uh, uh, quick bit on Cormier. Uh, Matt mentioned a whole bunch of novels uh, that you can read for more backstory, but... Uh, we will be uh, fleshing out more Cormier soon. Right. And we, we haven't actually um, gone to great lengths to, to describe Cormier publicly up to this point because it is a place in 5th edition that we haven't really gone to right. and sort of rooted a story in yet. So um, yeah. that, that may change in the future as we continue to expand outward from the north. And as uh, you can probably tell, it has a lot of canon associated with it. So yeah. Figuring out has all how to canon. do it is <laughs> <laughs> difficult. You know, like it's a lot to yeah. relate and figure out. And, yeah, and volumes. Track down. Yeah. Right. It's like so. a cannon with a, uh, a five foot yeah. in <laughs> diameter cannonball. <laughs> there we go. All right. Love nice, it. Nice circle around. <laughs> Tried. Uh, thank you, guys. How can uh, people ask you more questions about uh, Cormier? I am on Twitter at Chris Perkins DND. And I'm on Twitter at, at Cernet, S-E-R-N-E-T-T. And I'm at Greg Tito. Uh, that's been Laurie Janot. Thank you, guys. Uh, we'll be back next week with more. That was a really good uh, segment. I feel like I know a lot about Cormier now. <laughs> I feel like that was like a like a travel documentary. I, it was like a step into time. Right. And now like we will. Rick Steves, Cormier. But not. It's but, just like Rick. Matt's Who's not. Rick Steve? Rick Steves? Yeah. He's like the travel. You know Rick Steves? Like plural? There's like more than one of them? No. It's <laughs> his name. He does all. He's local. He does all these travel shows. Travel with Rick well, Steves. Why now I feel like I'm saying his name wrong because you're. Steve S? No. That's his name. He's also a big advocate for um, legal marijuana. 
Well, they must be local then. He's, it's a very a Seattle thing. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, he's like a famous travel guide. Like you always buy like, oh, I'm going to Belgium. You'll buy the Rick Steves travel guide. I, okay. This is new to me. Yeah. Not the Fodors. You didn't like the Fodors travel guide? Yeah, I like that too. Right. Fodors. Fodors. You know there's an internet the now planet. where you don't need a book to tell you anything. You can just like, look <laughs> it up on the internet. No. Really? Yeah. How do I bring the internet with me though? Your phone. But if I'm in a, like, lost in a restaurant and uh, I don't know how to order cheese, you, I mean I need my you don't have that Fodor. Chip. You don't have that trip? That <laughs> <laughs> Fodor. <laughs> That's all he says? Fodor. Fodor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the big map that you could pull out in the back of it. Oh. This reminds me so much of my interview with Ruben Bressler. Really? Yeah. It doesn't actually. It's just a great day. Perfect segue wow. into talking to Ruben. Well, I can't wait to hear it. Well, you should listen to it I right am. now. <laughs> Not that there were people watching. I know. <laughs> we, this is all for you guys on the, on the Twitch, but we are going to start for realsies. Right about yep, now. There we go. Do you think that sounds? I think, I think Ryan, you're, you're, that's good, right? We're good. <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> All right. How's it going? I am here uh, with Ruben Bressler. How are you doing, Ruben? I'm doing very well. How are you? Good. Uh, so you uh, and I have a lot in common. Uh, is what I've discovered over the last you know half hour or sure. so of us uh, uh, bullcrapping before this interview is starting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, yeah, why don't you tell a little bit about uh, what what it is you do uh, and uh, and how? Sure. And then we'll get into how we're related. Right there, you go. So but I'm a uh, I am most well known on the internet space as a Magic the Gathering content creator. Uh, I do a, a weekly podcast uh, called Magic Mics um, that we talked about a little bit already. Um, and I am also uh, a professional poker player uh, for most of my adult life, off and on. I have done that as my main source of income. Um, but I came to both of those games through D and D. I grew up in a house. Uh, my parents. I like to tell this story. My parents played in the same D&D group before they started dating. Mm. Um, so I've been playing NPCs my entire life. I've been you know, the tavern keeper's son or the, the trading post's goblin assistant or whatever since I was seven. Or, you know. and so they conscripted you into it or did you? No, I just sort of jumped in myself. I wasn't oh. like, I heard the story and was like, hey, I'm an NPC. Why not? And then they just put up with me. So um, when do they, uh, so I'm just, what, what time frame is this just so I can get to Five, era. six, seven years old. Uh, in, so I'm in, in 30, the world. So I'm 31. Oh. So this was uh, mid-90s, early 90s. Mid-90s. Okay. They always played AD&D. They, right. was, they were second edition folks. Um, so they're all, uh, uh, you know, thacoed out and all that kind of stuff. I love that they're, they're like a special uh, breed of, of, of sure. D&D group. Oh, well, they, were, they were Thaco folks. Right. They, I mean, yeah. <laughs> and now, it's even class funny. People. It's funny now. People, my, my dad's friends and he and my mom, is, and, but especially with my dad because he was the DM. Yeah. They're they're all re- like a lot of them are retired now. They're trying to put the game like a game weekend together. Nice, which putting a band I back desperately together. want to record. Yeah, um, and then you could be the NPC guy again. Right, you're exactly. like, I'm going to be the town keeper son still. Oh my god, it'd be so good. <laughs> but yeah, so that's so how I came to D and D. Did they play at a uh, like at nights? Like where you were in bed? They would play. Uh, typically, they'd play right before. Like they'd get started right after my bedtime, but then I'd get out of bed because I'm you know I'm can't be tamed. But <laughs> um, so so they would play. You know they. They'd put me to bed at eight or whatever. Whenever you put a kindergartner to bed, yeah, and then they'd play till you know midnight or whatever, and then they both had jobs. So, uh, so you were you were on the early the early docket. You're yeah. like, okay, here's here's the NPC. Right, you uh, all meet in the kid. tavern. Right, right, and then later they'd fight. And once the dice started rolling, I was bored. I was off it. Really, that's fascinating. When I was six, yeah. Now, now that's what's most interesting to me. <laughs> um, but yeah, that storytelling aspect of setting up the story and 
interacting with the characters. I loved that when I was a little kid. That's super cool. Yeah. All right, so tell me a little bit more about your parents. Like, what uh, what did they do? Uh, you know, yeah, wh- wh- what did they do? What so of- my parents' game was, uh, I think my dad invented the whole world. I don't think that it was based on any, there was no Faerun, there was no, you know, Forgotten Realms, right. none of, none of the traditional. I think it was all homebrew. Okay. And they were real into random stats for everything. If you recall in oh. like second edition, if you had a high charisma score, you got to keep rolling and see what that charisma score was based on whether you could talk well or whether you were pretty or whatever. Yeah. Um, and you would roll on like the fears table. I know that my one of my mom's characters had a fear of water that she randomly rolled up. And so they like had a t- t- tough time crossing streams and like rivers and going over bridges and stuff. They fought a water weird and she was cowering in the corner for the whole fight. Um, yeah. So they, they, they did cool. that kind of stuff all the time. And uh, and yeah, I've, I, I don't have specific memories of that them playing the the fighting or or doing any of that kind of stuff but i've i've heard stories since then of they were all about the dice they were they were ready for the dice to tell the story yeah uh one of the best examples was my mom's character was a druid in this one campaign and they'd met a dragon years previous and they run they the the random encounter table said all right you run into a dragon i'm gonna roll a d20 see if it's the same dragon 20 20 20 one in eight thousand shot it's the same dragon wow and so they run into this same dragon, uh, and so it, yeah, it was pretty cool. So, so it was more, was it more like a simulationist type of game where like you know the the you know was it epic storytelling like with the um, romance or was there like I think oh. it was more it was more it was more along the lines of like an epic poem kind okay. of uh, you know they're they're you know delving dungeons and slaying dragons and and like really going on big adventures. Um, I know that uh, one of my dad's characters was this little thing called a boggart that like yeah. got it was either it was between three and four feet tall depending on how how its mood was, <laughs> um, and it was like a thief. And so after there's a famous story that my dad likes to tell of when he stole something and got back outside, he's like, "I feel four feet tall," <laughs> uh, which was great. And, and so they, <laughs> you know, it was it was very uh, you know fantasy traditional style of uh, of storytelling that they used to they used to play. I'm interested to see them put the game back together, right? Because I want to see. How not just the players, but if the characters, because I assume they're going to play the same characters twenty years hence. Um, well, you, see, you mentioned different, so different campaigns. Did they not? Did they? Stuck well, my with the dad same has the his time? campaign, and that was like their main game. But uh, a couple of the other folks, like my my parents' friends, Alan, uh, I think ran a campaign, and that's when the dragon story happened. Oh, okay, uh, was during their campaign. But uh, but yeah, there's three or four different campaigns that ran throughout. But my dad's was the one where they made he made the whole world and and all that kind of stuff. Cool, and they met. While playing, is that what no? You said? They met at a party at, through another family, now family friend of theirs, and then ended up, you know, being friends first and playing in this D and D campaign, and then started dating ah. afterwards, and then got married, and you know, the best was history. I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> How exactly did that work? No, I'm right. I, yeah. Well, they rolled on a random encounter table, <laughs> and and uh, they spawned you, yeah. and everything was was awesome after that. That's super cool. So, did you start? Wh- when did you actually start playing for real with them? Do you think? Uh, I'd never played with my parents. Really? Actually, I've to never, this day, to this day, I've never wow. never played in a D and D game with my parents. We'd moved. We the game kind of ended when I moved. I grew up in. I was born in Washington D.C. and then we moved to Ohio. Okay. The game kind of died when uh, when we moved to Ohio because they didn't have their friends there anymore. Uh, and then so when I moved to Ohio, I that's when I picked up magic when it was when I was about 12. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And, you know, it's sort of just been percolating in the background. And then I got more in, back into D&D myself when I went to college at mm-hmm. Ohio University. Go Bobcats. Um, and Whoa. I would play down at, uh, at well, there you go, <laughs> down at the, um, the Wizards Guild or um, the, the Universe of Superheroes. I think it's called the Wizards Guild now or the Athens Arcana now in Athens, Ohio. And we would play third edition. Um, and, uh, and we had a couple of folks who were, who were, you know, we were all dungeon masters and players. So it was just like whoever wanted to be in charge. And we didn't really have one through campaign that I was a part of at least right. uh, the whole time. And so I was, I was in a three, 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 five campaign, uh, for a little bit, but this was also a time when I was doing school and I was playing a lot of online poker. Right. Um, and so. So talk that a little was, bit, yeah, about how do you how did you get into doing more uh, more poker? Like, so it, I picked up Magic when I was twelve, and that's essentially Wizards poker. And the crossover and skill sets between Magic the Gathering and poker are very similar. And so when the poker boom came around in two thousand four, two thousand five, I was a freshman sophomore in college, um, and it was just a very easy way for an analytical thinker like me to make money. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was there was a <laughs> there's a funny story about my parents thought that I was selling drugs because I was never asking them for money. And I was like, are, they're like, are you selling your ADHD medication? It's like, no, no, I'm just playing poker online and people are very stupid. So <laughs> I just did that for my job for a long time. That's how I, that's how I uh, funded my, my college experience. Um, and, you know, I didn't play a ton of, uh, of uh, D&D at the time. I'd actually fallen away a little bit from Magic once I started getting more serious into stand-up comedy mm-hmm. uh, for a long time there. And so, you know, there's only so many hours in the day. And so I was doing a lot of poker and, and, uh, and eventually, later in my college career, stand-up comedy. Yeah. And so I fell away from D&D for a while. Um, and got back into magic once I started making magic content, writing articles and doing some video stuff. Um, and then uh, after college, I got hired to work at Star City Games, uh, doing live tournament coverage for magic, mm-hmm. and, which I loved. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so I sort of fell away from D&D for a while. But that ebb and flow has come back now. That now that D&D is like so accessible, uh, 5th edition is just this pop culture explosion now. Twitch has really revitalized it. Um, you know, 5th edition is so easy to pick up and play um, and that, that, uh, that it brings in so many folks and people are wanting to learn. So I've, I've sort of uh, – it's sort of a nice perfect storm coming back together for me. Yeah. God, I feel like I, you know, I have like four things I want to ask you about, so I'll just pick up the last one. Sure. Uh, so why do you think uh, that, I mean, you, you were mentioning your, your parents' game, and it just sounds from the way you were describing it that it would be very fun for the folks that are there at that table, but I'm not sure it would be as fun to watch. Yeah, I don't know, stream, because, right? I, I, so I've, I've played in a couple of AD&D games, and combat can get, in terms of watching it on television, unedited, unscripted, uh, Combat's very complicated in AD&D compared to 5th edition. Right. You can get bogged down super easy. In fact, there's the urban legend of how Magic the Gathering was invented. Yes. Is Richard Garfield wanted to do something in between when it was his turn in combat. And so he made this game where, you know, you could finish a game in like less than half an hour. Oh, see, I didn't, that's a different version of the urban legend that I've heard, which was that it was when, you know, you couldn't get everybody together for oh, a D&D sure. session. So it was like, okay, well, there's only three of us, so let's play some Magic instead. That's also what works. I thought. But it, either way, it's actually kind of 
of amazing if it's in the midst that's of the what, game. That's what an urban legend is for, so that there's multiple <laughs> different versions yeah. of it. And it fits all of your different right, preconceived exactly. notions about it. So uh, I assume, and, and he invented it in the late 80s, early 90s, so he was definitely playing second edition, right? And yeah. so he's, you know, he's using Thaco and doing all the complicated tables and all that kind of stuff, yeah. which is, you know, especially with the folks who are doing the D&D shows, they aren't professional Dungeons and Dragons players. These are people who just like to play Dungeons and Dragons. There's no such thing as a professional Dungeons and Dragons player, as far as I'm aware, unless you're hiring. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> that's but what, that's what any, we do here. <laughs> right, exactly. But, my, my, but, you know, especially for shows like Critical Role, they, yeah. they have a day job, right? right. Uh, you know, Dice Camera Action, they have day jobs. Like, they're not um, playing D&D full time. And so if they had to go through a a, a table to see which armor class they hit, that's going to bog down a televised right. event. And then as soon as you start adding 15 seconds to each dice roll, things like that add right. up and it gets a little bit cray-cray. Exactly. Yeah. And so um, I can see how if it were experienced folks like my parents or whoever used to play all the time, they could probably make it easier. But you, it, it, every second, as you know, every, right. every second, every table talk, every little thing, that's an extra thing that adds to the length of the game. And before you know it, it's 4 a.m. Exactly. So uh, I'm not sure that AD&D translates as well as 5th edition. 5th edition is just this confluence of perfect design for compressed Dungeons & Dragons without feeling compressed. Right. That's what I find so fascinating about it because I don't think there's one thing I could put my finger on is like this is what makes this game no. better for for entertainment and i also don't know if it's just our general culture has shifted so much towards use of technology and things like that uh, sure. that makes it so much more palatable because i think even you know 10 years ago when we first did uh, acquisitions incorporated yeah. you know a podcast version people were like well, i don't know if anyone's going to really right. want to even the people in this building were like i don't know if people are going to want to listen to other people play yeah. And then it blew up from from there, and it's sure. like crazy to really the audience, think about it. The audience has – I mean there's always been a small audience, but again, it ebbs and flows. You know, yeah. ner- uh, Nerd Poker with Brian Posehn yes. has been a thing forever. Dice Camera uh, – not Dice Camera, uh, Acquisitions Incorporated obviously. Right. Um, you know, the Adventure Zone podcast has been going on for five years at this point at least. Is it? I don't think it's that has long. Has it not been that no, long? I, I thought the, they were earlier. Well, the My Brother, My Brother and Me has sure. been around for a long time. But, oh, okay. But sure, th- yeah. their Adventure Zone stuff was somewhat new but also has yeah, yeah, yeah. climbed But uh, all of it – has has coalesced, I think, because of fifth edition. And I yeah. again, I don't really know why fifth edition so, is so good for televised Dungeons and Dragons. But right. boy, how while is also it? be being at the table and yeah. like having fun and doing the the more table talk stuff that you're Absolutely, talking about, yeah. right? Uh, yeah, that's crazy. So also another thread I wanted to kind of pull out of you was uh, uh, you were there. You mentioned the the poker boom. Yes. Yeah, and I don't think I ever really okay. heard it described that way before. Right. Uh, In the poker industry, we refer to it as the poker boom. When, right, because it was on TV. It was, it was on, on TV. ESPN, like, feels like every time yeah. he turned on so one was, of the ESPNs down from the, the deuce to the ocho, yeah. it was poker it was play on. was yeah. on. And there then, was a while there where it was only pros winning the World Series of Poker main event. Right. Only professionals. And mostly post poker professionals are kind of boring people. Like they just do math for a living. Yeah. Um, so but then one year, a guy named Chris Moneymaker, perfect poker name, by the way. Exactly. Was an amateur, basically. He won a fifty dollar satellite to another tournament that won him another satellite to the main event, and then he won the main event. And he's just some dude in like a trucker hat. And because he won, everyone was like, hey, I can win too. And so right around 2004, 2005, the poker boom happened yeah. is what we refer to it as where everyone was playing poker. Do you think the movie Rounders had anything to do with it? Um, no. <laughs> but I love Rounders and all poker players but it's around Rounders. that. It's around that. It's right around the time period, right? It's similar. Yeah. I think, I think Rounders was earlier. 2003, 2002. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
But it was like it was in the Zion cast where sure. people were thinking about. It. I'm like, oh, this is something that you know. Right. It, it made it feel uh, uh, attractive in like a, a, a way, right. right? That you could get in. But but certainly we th- it, we within poker think that it's Chris Moneymaker winning, yeah. and then it got really popular thereafter. Um, you know, the for example, the winner of the World Series of Poker, the last time that they were on the Tonight Show. Before the 2000s was when Amarillo Slim won in the late 70s. Right. And then Chris Moneymaker was on TV. Yeah. That's the bar is are you invited on The Tonight Show? You're a part of the popular culture now. Yeah. And I'm seeing – I'm wondering if there's a comparison here like because no one ever really thought that uh, uh, watching people play poker was going to be something that people were gonna, ever going to watch. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden pff, people did and it was all over. And There's I feel another like- big facet to that which is the, the what's called the whole cam which is a little yes. tiny cigarette camera that sat right here that you could see the player's cards. Yes. And that was hugely important for the development of poker. Less important for Dungeons and Dragons to get the dice cam yeah. although some shows do yeah. have the dice cam. Um, but it's public information. It's not exactly. private information. So it's, it's not as, as important. Right. And so that was a huge part of televised poker going yeah. forward. And so there was a period of five years where every poker tournament was on TV. And yeah. you know, even people with a, a, only a modicum of talent like myself could make a pretty good living. Were you ever on Just TV? on the outskirts. Were you ever on I've never been. Uh, no, I'm too young to have been in the big tournament series uh but some of the games i run uh for dungeons and dragons now are with professional poker players oh no way so they've all been on television um so by osmosis you kind of were sure yeah yeah. (laughs) and i've and i've i've been in the so i used to do poker reporting yeah uh, and so i've been in the background of some shots on espn before um (laughs) that's something you put up on the wall you're like i think i'm in like a random background shot of at least one televised moment in the last three years Nice. Um, which is kind of hilarious. I'll start looking for you. Yeah. <laughs> and be like, oh, there he is. Uh, that's super cool. Um, I love, uh, yeah. So what's it like playing Dungeons and & Dragons uh, and or Magic with, uh, with, with professional poker players? Yeah. So my D&D group in Vegas involves a lot of folks with Wikipedia pages. Um, <laughs> the last game we ran was at my buddy Ryan's house. Ryan, is a, Ryan LaPlante is a World Series of Poker bracelet winner. Uh, and and uh, we had Mike Del Vecchio, who was a finalist for Poker Rookie of the Year or Breakout Player of the Year last year. Um, Kevin Gerhardt's in that group. He's a Magic player who also just won a trophy in Reno. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, a lot of, lot of really good poker minds in that group. Uh, I got sort of introduced to that group through another game called Werewolf, which is a oh, yeah. uh, sort of... Uh, White Wolf? Yeah, uh, uh, no, yeah. Well, it's the... Um, it's other people vein. call it Mafia, or it's like a party game where you are trying to convince other people that you aren't the werewolf and you get voted out and stuff like that. Oh, um, oh, oh, okay. Not the White Wolf system. Oh, okay. No, no, no. This is like uh, a party um, game that's like... There's another name for it, too. Werewolf uh, the Resistance. on Avalon Hill. Ra- Resistance is similar as yeah, well. Yeah, right. And so that group has a lot of the, the you know, folks like Scott Seaver, Justin Bonomo, for those of you that play poker. Um, sometimes name dropping for yeah, all Sometimes fans. we play at uh, Dan Bilzerin's house, if you've ever heard of... I don't know him. Dan, he's, he's like an Instagram celebrity. Oh, okay. Um, and and those games now. are well, he's got twenty million Instagram followers. So there aren't twenty million people. So right? I don't know where he got. So all so sometimes we uh, we get together in those groups, and that's how I met the groups that play Magic, and also the groups that play D anD D. And so I'll go over to, um, you know, there's a lot of famous Magic players in poker. Uh, Justin Bonomo being one of them, Scott Seaver being another. Sure, but what's what's, what's the game like? I mean, do they do they get super analytical or yeah, tactical I mean, it's, or it's is a it lot more of the story? Same, like, oh, the, in terms of D and D or Magic, uh, either. I mean, so in Magic, the skills are the same, right? It's you are playing to your outs. You're trying to game theory optimize. What percentage do I have to win if I do this? What percentage do I have to win if I do this? It's the same four types of information, which yeah. is to say, public. 
uh, totally private. Neither of us know. Only me and only you. Right. So those those groups are the same, and you can figure out the math from that point forward. Um, you know, statistics and and um, you know, uh, playing GTO and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So those games overlap incredibly. D and D doesn't overlap nearly as bad because there's no winning in D and D. You can't win a game of D and D, but you still you know, have the folks who are trying to, not necessarily min-max, but trying to min-max the experience. The way you win D&D is having the most fun. Right. And so, you know, they'll min-max their character for that purpose of trying to be the weirdest or trying to be, you know, just trying to be the fastest. I had a character, a guy who wanted to just try to make the fastest possible, like the most movement in a round. <laughs> and like, so just started building that. Wow. Um, That's something I never even really considered. Right. And yeah. just, it was kind of hilarious. Um, How fast did you get up to? So in fourth edition, there was a race called the Nizumi uh-huh. that after you hit, you got to move more. So he got up to like 300 feet in a round what? or something ludicrous with all the, with all the bonus attacks and stuff, like a maximum possible. He had to roll really well to do it, yeah. but it would be like move 50 feet, hit 10 feet, hit 10 feet, hit 10 feet. Like a lot of things would have had to have stacked correctly, but, but when it all works, it's it gotta works, be a super yeah. satisfying thing for that. Player, right. right. So yeah, playing with poker players is interesting, especially DMing for poker players is interesting because they know how to, you know, they know how to escape, escape an escape room. Right. So putting together traps and interesting villains and cool monsters is I mean, hitting stuff is fun, obviously. But every once in a while, you want to throw a riddle at them Mm -hmm. and and see how they react to that, too. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. What about uh, I mean, do they role play? Do they they, they feel like they get into that? I my Yeah, my well, my DMing style is I'm very invested in role play. I give out inspiration a lot as a DM. Um, And so I encourage them to role play as much as they possibly can. Um, and that I think is rubbing off, you know, a lot of the poker players, this is their first or second time playing. Um, and so uh, they, they aren't as uh, comfortable in that sort of sphere as I am. But, you know, once I play an NPC and go, you know, completely to, to the wall with it and just like a complete ridiculous accent or just an absurd thing put in front of them, they pick up on it. And, and they're, they're really adaptable is the other thing about poker players is once they're mm. set up with a situation, they'll be like, all right, that's the situation. Now we go. They mm. don't question why it's there. They don't do any of that stuff. And they're, so they're really e- oh, they're cool. easy to pick up a game and play. That's really great because, you know, you think you have this uh, conception of what an, an analytical, mathematical uh, uh, player of a game right. might be. And you're now, like, and that's all you can do. That might not be every poker player, but it's certainly every poker player that's interested in playing D&D. I guess that's probably so. true, right? Yeah. But yeah. then you also have the ones that can, yeah. I don't know. That's, that's really fascinating. So, yeah, our group uh, is called D-Gens and Dragons <laughs> in Vegas because we're degenerates. And so that's our, that's our little group name. I like that. Yeah. yeah. You can even just call it Degenerates and Dragons. Sure. I think I might steal that. That's, that's that's really good. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good show name. It is. Put that in your We back thought pocket. about, a lot of folks were asking us to stream that game yeah. when we first started, but I, you know, it's a bunch of first-time players, and they don't want necessarily want to put that, you right. know, they, they were a little nervous about putting that on the table. And I'm sure so. also part of it's like, th- this is my fun. I yeah, want, I exactly. I want to have fun with this and Keep not make separate. content Exactly, right. And that's a difficulty with being a professional poker player is I don't love poker like some of my friends love poker. Yeah. And so now I've sort of taken a step back from playing full-time, and now I'm, I'm a, a dealer uh, full-time. 
uh, for and I only play maybe I don't know ten hours a week or something like that mo- at most, right? Um, which is still a lot for a normal man. person. Yeah, exactly. It's just <laughs> supplemental income kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and to keep you know keep those wits sharp because when you stop doing something, it goes away quick. That's very true. Uh, like with stand up comedy, which is uh, uh, yeah. another thing we have in common. Yeah. But, so uh, I was I was just going to transition there. So when did uh, when did you start doing that? So I started doing stand up when I was about seventeen, bef- wow. right before college. Okay. Um, I in Columbus in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, I, my f- first time doing stand-up, I think, was at the Funny Bone in Columbus. I went to an open mic night uh, and got a great reaction to, to my nice. jokes. And that there's no better feeling. I don't. There's nothing better than the first laugh. That is true. When you get on stage and you're like, "Boy, I hope I get their attention," and then you get the first laugh and you're like, "All right, we're there." Even even if you have a good set, then it's yeah, like you get the like first, five minutes of just exhilaration. Yeah, the first one. And then it all comes so crashing important. down after that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, you know what a bad set's like. Yes. That's not great either. Yeah. And so I was in, involved in the stand-up comedy scene in the Midwest for a while. Um, I worked with a company called Funny Business oh. um, that booked comedians on college campuses and stuff like that. And I was doing it semi-professionally a little bit. Uh, took a couple of road trips and, you know, stayed in New York for a week and did 30 sets in 10 days and that okay. kind of, those kind of, you know, try to try to make it work yeah. hope to hope to make some good connections kind of thing um that's and then a, oh, i mean because i was i was in new york city and trying to do that to go out and i would never i never took that 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 step to it's be like, tough i was like i mean i don't want to be on the road right and then if you don't do that then you, it's impossible yep. to, to kind of make it the, your, your vocation. there are a lot of hurdles in being a semi-professional right and none media. of them are whether you're funny or not right exactly right that yeah. was what pissed me off about yep. it was like it was that whether i could bring i was, I was doing bringer shows it was sure like, yeah, yeah. Can, do i have 10 bringer friends? shows you need to bring friends to so they buy drinks and stuff yeah two drink minimum yep. and it was a cover to get in anyway so yep. it was like hey friends that's tough I was just doing stuff just to make friends so that they could be on the hook for 50 right. bucks, you know, every two weeks exactly or something like that. Right. And yeah. then they were like, we don't have any more money. And I'm like, okay, I guess I'm out then. Yeah. Because I got nothing left. And then I moved to Vegas. And honestly, Vegas is not a great city for stand-up comedy. Actually, first I moved to Roanoke, Virginia when I was working at... Sar- also not a great city for... Not for stand-up. <laughs> Although surprisingly decent for stand-up. Oh, uh, really? Because it's like, it's, it's an hour away from a college campus in oh, Blacksburg. Right. You got Virginia Tech out there. Yeah, that makes um, sense. And there's a little bit of a comedy scene out there. But it's, again, it's not it's not New York City or Chicago or whatever. And then I moved to Vegas, and Vegas is surprisingly not, for me, I don't think it's a great open mic city. Mm. Uh, there, is an, there is an open mic scene, and I have a lot of stand-up comedy friends that live there, but it's, I just don't. I'm not in it. Because Vegas is such a unique city to begin with that if you have no dollars, you can just people watch, and it's some of the best entertainment on the planet. <laughs> and there's so many, there are also just free shows. And then if you have a $20 show, with like me and three other people who are like semi-professional, you can go see us, uh, you know, at like the V Theater in Planet Hollywood or whatever, which I've done a couple times. Yeah. Or you can spend twenty dollars and go see like a discount, like magic comedy show at the Flamingo with somebody who works there or something like that or go to Brad Garrett's comedy club and do something there and then if you have $80 you can just go see Daniel Tosh or whoever you know whoever's in town because all the comedians come to Vegas yeah and so it's it's really it really chokes out the audience um which I don't love um and so it's not for me because I really build off of reactions well then if you get the people to actually come to your low level comedy show, yeah. then you realize that you're like, I'm number 12 right. on their list exactly. of what they wanted to go see. 
and, and the other it's thing really for me, hard to come back and get people to dig your stuff yeah. at that point. Yeah, and the other thing for me was I had really tailored my comedy act for college campuses because that's where I always performed. Oh. And so trying to perform for people who don't understand my references or like aren't buying into the initial premise of the joke or aren't really willing to go out on a limb with me. Yeah. Um, because college campuses obviously, you know, super, t- typically liberal and really willing to go out on a strand um, uh, and follow my train of yeah, thought. Yeah, but there something. are those people who are like, they've been drinking and smoking and, right. and, and gambling and then, all day. And all and they want I, is some like, you know, yeah, Milton Berle go, type. Exactly. Like, Where's some jokes? Right. Yeah. We, I came here to hear jokes, not for your esoteric you know, garbage. <laughs> Storytelling. Yeah. What is this? I don't care about you. Right. This long form uh, uh, story about <laughs> Legends of the Hidden Temple. That's got like me. three and a half jokes maybe right. throughout it, but exactly. it's got a great one at the end. Yeah, exactly. Like, I can't even so, get to that um, But, but uh, the, the moral of that story is I'm moving to L.A. Uh, this fall. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. Yeah. I, I, again, I went to college for English and film, um, and I'm sort of over the poker playing part of my life at this point. And yeah. so I want to take my chance in L.A. and do the, you know, do the, the, the English and film stuff. thing and get yeah. back into stand up. And I got some great friends out there that, uh, that, that I'm going to do. Well, it's one before we leave the stand up comedy idea. There's one thing that I say a lot to new DMs or, or try to talk to them about, and that's reading the room. Yeah. It's, it's 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 being able to take up the subtle signals that people are, are having if they're having a good time or not uh, uh, is, is a skill that you, you know if you haven't done stand-up or you haven't done any kind of performing at all you might not be able to, to, right. to pick up on so and what are some some thoughts that you might have on that yeah. vein for, stand-up for comedy well honestly my poker has helped with my stand-up a lot because it's a lot of facial recognition and reads oh, and tells and stuff sense. like that, that and so the most important thing when you're I highly recommend giving stand-up a try to basically everybody um, but being funny is the third most important thing the first one is being organized you have to know what you're going to say. No, the difference between being a stand-up comedian and being what I call living room funny is most stand-up comedians are not good at parties like, mm. and vice versa. Most people who are good at parties aren't – like every once in a while you'll get a Dane Cook who's good at both. Yeah. But most of the time, the stand-up comedian is the dude in the corner looking for the cat at the party <laughs> and r- watching. Yeah. Um, and so the first thing that you're going to want to do is have your notes. Make sure that you're organized. The second most important thing is have a presence. Be confident. Even if you're not, even if it's your first time, put mm-hmm. on this facade of being confident. Pretend you're an NPC. Pretend you're a super confident you know, mayor of a town. Um, and the audience will buy that. Because they're not looking behind the, the screen. Yeah. Right? They're, they, they're there to see a show. You put on a show, doesn't matter if you're terrified. Have you seen the, uh, this is totally a bit of a tangent, but the Jim and Andy uh, documentary that's on Netflix right no. now about Jim Carrey oh, playing yes. the Andy Kaufman? I've, I've, I've not watched it. I know what you're talking about, though. He said this amazing thing that I've been thinking about a lot because he was trying to figure out what people want from, from a comedy mm. thing. You know, and I think this applies to Dungeons & Dragons, too, so it's not too much of a... But yeah. people, when they're having a leisure activity... They want to be free from concern. Sure. They want to feel like they're in good hands, mm-hmm. right? And so when he was doing stand-up, he just was like, all right, here's my shtick, and all righty then. And yeah. then he was like, people laughed because that's all they wanted. They yeah. just wanted to feel like they were in control. And I think Dungeon Masters right. need to do that to a certain extent too, where it's like you're, you know, the next two hours, three hours of your life, you don't need to be in charge of it. I'm right. in charge of it, and I'm going to make sure that this is fun and happening for There's everyone. There's a similar social contract with Dungeon Mastering and stand-up comedy, yeah. it, which is, you know, if somebody in real, if I tell somebody in real life that I'm a stand-up comedian, the first thing they say is, oh, you're a stand-up comedian, tell me a joke. And it's the worst for a couple of reasons. First of all, comedians tell ironic stories with humorous twists and not jokes. Correct. Like, what's the last time you heard a comedian say, you know, why did the chicken cross the road, right? (laughs) Who's there? Yeah, exactly. Um, 
And and uh, so there's a social contract in place when you go to a comedy club. You are there to watch comedy. And it's one of the reasons why when you watch comedy on Comedy Central from 15 years ago, it's not funny anymore. Mm. Um, you know, there's some stuff that translates. There's some stuff that translates. And also comedy isn't supposed to be evergreen. Yeah. Like things are supposed to go bad. And comedy is one of them. It's yeah. supposed to it's supposed to ripen and then and then decay. Um, but it's interesting in that when you go to a comedy club, there is that social contract in place of I am prepared to laugh at this. In D and D, your players are under a similar social contract where if I said, "Hey, I'm a dungeon master," and someone on the street street said, "Oh, you know, run a scene for me," <laughs> there's a similar reaction you're going to have. Right. Of like, like, I don't have my stuff. Right. I'm not holding a microphone. I can't yeah, do this. There's, right? there's, I can't do a combat here in the middle of you know. The, I mean, the I could. Street. It won't be very good. But. And I could tell a joke just like a standard comedian. And it won't be very. And good. It won't be very good because no. we don't have the similar social contract. That's in what place. I used to explain to people. It's like you could say the exact same words with the exact same inflection yep. on the street or in social thing and you won't laugh because yep. I'm not up on stage with a microphone not in my hand. You need the boomstick that makes the thunder voice and also the spotlight to be able to make sure that no one reads. Because yeah. that's the other thing about when it's, oh, tell me a joke. And you go into your bit and they start talking to you like it's a conversation. Like, no, this is a comedy bit. It's also a very challenging thing, too, because they're like, <laughs> oh, you're funny? Show me. Right. Show me how funny you I are. I challenge you. <laughs> and you're like, that's right. not, not, no humor ever came from that situation. Right. But yeah, I, I definitely think that there is a similar, you know, there's a similar stage. There's a similar yeah. uh, limelight that comes with being the dungeon master in front of your audience of players. Um, it's not the same, obviously, because no, 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 you're playing a bunch of characters and you're controlling a world, but you're controlling a world in much the same way that you're controlling a stage in stand-up comedy. Yeah. And so uh, it's no wonder why so many improvisational actors and stand-up comedians get involved in Dungeons & Dragons, because it's great, long-form improv uh, that lets you explore the space and use your imagination in much the way that you do in comedy. Yeah, it's good stuff. All right, man. I can't believe it's almost wow an hour. Well, we, I can, we, we, I can we, fill the airwaves. We so. really can. That's what we can do. It's our special talent, uh, sure. as I said, uh, for, being, for being comics and, uh, and hosts. Yeah. It's a thing. Uh, we didn't even get to talk about your, uh, uh, you know, any kind of uh, uh, plane shift D&D sure. stuff you might be doing. The crossover with Magic and Dungeons and & Dragons. I'm, I'm working on it. For those of you who have been following my social media, um, I was trying to put together a Skype show uh, with a bunch of Magic the Gathering content producers. Um, it didn't come to it, – it's like – like it's, everyone's super busy being content producers that it didn't really come together. Yeah. Um, I'm still working forward on that, especially after I moved to Los Angeles. Uh, I've been talking with uh, Dom and Garav of Saving Throw Show. We might be working on something uh, uh, later in the year cool to stuff. go along with Saving Throw Show. And, I just love uh, all the wealth of uh, story information about uh, Magic the Gathering right. and all of its settings. Like it just there's so the, much to delve the deeper, into. There. Yeah, the deeper the world, the more tools there are to use, the better the story. That's why Forgotten Realms is is the go-to is because yeah. there's so much. It's the same with magic. You've got these planes, like we're about to go back to Dominaria, right. um, which is a, a world that's twice the surface area of Earth that has so much story and 10 years of magic sets on top of video games and all this other stuff to be able to dig into in a way that's story-based yeah. in Dungeons & Dragons. And so uh, I'm still working on that. Keep an eye out for that going forward. Nice. Uh, I'm one of those magic players. Not so much anymore, but I used to uh, read and potentially act out all the flavor text. Uh, oh, yeah, whenever for sure. I could. And there's novels. Um, yeah. You know, there's all these super interesting deep characters that are ripe for role play. Exactly. I can't wait for uh, uh, for more folks to do that with the Plane Shift articles. It's yeah. going to be good stuff. Uh, all right. Well, uh, I think you mentioned this all up at the top, but let's do it again. Where can people find out all of the awesome stuff you're doing? Sure. Well, uh, I'm Mox Ruby, M O X R E U B Y, on everything. Um, just, you know, 
search for that. It's a pun. It mocks Ruby as a magic card. I put the E in there because my name's Ruben. Whatever. <laughs> so you can catch the Magic Mike's podcast, which is we got the little advertisement on the back of the tokens here. Ooh, you can catch that nice. Wednesday nights, uh, 11 Eastern, 8 Pacific, 5 Hawaiian. Um, <laughs> And you can catch us, uh, Evan Irwin, Aaron Campbell, and myself talking about the news in Magic the Gathering. I also do a Critical Role recap show, which I briefly talked about, called the Arcana Philosophical. That's at Arcana Podcast on Twitter. Um, You can catch that. That's a weekly sort of breakdown where I view the show and the characters through the lens of a poker player trying to get tells and reads and see where the situation might lead later on down the road. So check out at Arcana Podcast every week. and, uh, and yeah, and I'll be at Grand Prix Seattle this weekend. Good luck there. Thank you so much. Yeah. It's a magic tournament uh, downtown at the, at the convention center. Um, I will be spell slinging uh, noon to 4 p.m. Thursday and Friday, and I'll be in the bounty event at 5 p.m. on Thursday and Friday, and I'll be around all weekend long uh, Saturday, Sunday, playing in the tournament, hopefully awesome. doing well. We'll see. Cool. All right, man. It was really good talking to you, Ruben. Thank you so much for having uh, me on the show. This I, has been delightful. I, I feel like I can I'll pick your brain for, for a lot longer, too. So we got to have you on again. I'll, and, I'll come uh, back. Get more into uh, the Critical Role stuff as well. Absolutely, as, yeah. Uh, you know, and just to have some stand-up comedy talk. I'm, I'll have you come on and uh, do some jokes. Whenever I... there's a microphone. Yeah, it? there you go. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. The social contract here is also a little weird. There's no audience, so oh, I don't the, know. The, I mean, there isn't, there's the unblinking eye of the internet. Yes. And two uh, ver- clearly very entertained tech people. It's true. Um, Every once in a while, I hear a snicker out of them, and I feel like I've won. Right. I feel like that's that's like, you know, uh, a standing ovation at, uh, uh, the best at Caroline's. Get, yeah. It's like, all right, God, I got this. But, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'll, I would love to come back, um, and, uh, and we'll talk more. Nice. And have a... Uh, have fun uh, in Seattle and in uh, Los Angeles when you make it there. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks a lot, man. So what did you think? That did you like that so interview? good. We, you know what? Dragon Talk is really good. You should listen to it more often yeah. because uh, every single time I show it to someone, they're always like, you know, Shelly's really entertaining. You, not so much. But That's Shelly, Fiona. Right? Yeah, it's true. It's Fiona. Yeah, because you she always ask, me. did you talk to Shelly tonight? Oh. <laughs> And I'm always like, yeah, I did. We had a brief exchange about beans. Beans. We talked about beans. (laughs) And eggs. I need to see Uh, Fiona again. She is uh, uh, ready to talk at all times. Okay. So much so that she's just like, daddy, daddy. Daddy, like, daddy, when we're like, right we're like um, a foot away from each other, like in the middle of a conversation, but everything is like, Daddy? And I'm like, you don't just talk. <laughs> you don't need to say my name and demand we're my attention. We're already in the conversation. Exactly. I'm already participating. We're already, you already have my attention. <laughs> but it's mostly because she doesn't know what to say. She just wants to make sure I'm still listening. Usually Bart <sighs> gives Quinn a bath. Yeah. And last night I'm like, I haven't really seen him much today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the bath. And he was like, oh, all right. He's... In there, like we were playing with his action figures and we were doing like Olympic diving and all this stuff. And then he goes, Wow, I gotta say, I didn't expect this to be this much fun. Oh, <laughs> what the- he like, he like pulled it up. He's like, I have to say, yeah, he did. He was like, Wait, wait, wait I just need to interrupt here, but <laughs> you're actually kind of fun. I actually prefer bad time with mommy. He might now, yeah, there you go. He was dubious about it and uh. I brought the game. Um, also, it. just, you know, superheroes doing diving competitions sounds like a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think I want to play that game. Except I made a mistake and called. Oh, I always forget his name. You're going to make the uh, mistake again, I'm aren't do you? do it again. You're such a mom. Uh, the Aquaman. Aquaman. I called him. <laughs> Fish boy. <laughs> Captain Underwater. 
<laughs> Captain Underwater sounds like a great name. Doesn't it? It sounds really good. He was so offended. It's like Prince Captain Namor, Mom. Underwater? It's Aquaman. Like, same deal. <laughs> Captain Underwater is way cooler. No, I want to be Captain Underwater. Captain Underwater. That's my name going forward. All right. You All can right. have it. I like it. Clearly, it's not taken. <laughs> so, anyway. Uh, I'm Great excited. Interview. Great interview. Thank you for listening. Uh, lots of fun stuff. Yes. But I missed you. I missed you too. From the bottom of my heart. We do. Yeah. Missed you. So much so that I think you should end this podcast. Rocks. Ah! <laughs> Shelly is dead. Shelly is dead.